I got to tell you, um, while we were singing, I haven't heard that many voices in a long time, and it was it was fantastic. I know the acoustics in a gym are horrible, but uh, that was a great that that was a great sound, and so I appreciate that an awful lot. And and um, as we continue here for the next number of weeks, we get to look forward to God continuing to do great things. And uh, there are a variety of topics of conversations that happen around the lunch table after our worship service every single Sunday. And I, I, some of the topics are, 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 are such as these. How many talented musicians we have, and, and we have incredibly gifted tech people that do a wonderful job. I appreciate that an awful lot. Um, I know another topic of conversation is the ongoing wit, humor, and phenomenal fashion sense and charm that I have. I, I know that that's one of the conversations that happens. The and another conversation that I'm sure happens is the amount of amazing children volunteers we have. Is the it's interesting when Rob comes up here, the children are already leaving, and uh, the reason why they're leaving is because they're excited about what they get to go do and and the people they get to interact with. And over the course of the last few weeks, namely the last nine weeks, as we've been doing this for the Spirit um, experience, one topic of conversation happens every single time, and I've heard this from a variety of you, and it's this, you talk about the fun fruit facts at lunch, because some of the things are a little bit odd, and so we'll just leave it at that. I, I wish you would talk about again, you know, how wonderful I am, but that I get that you don't want to do that. I don't want to get a big head, and you guys are doing a great job of making sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> so a few fun fruit facts for you are these. The first is this, and I'm going to start on a downer here. 7.8 million premature deaths could be avoided every year if people ate 10 portions of fruit and vegetables a day. How many of you, how many of you just a show of hands, how many, how many of you actually pull that off? 10 servings? Okay, Quinn, maybe, okay. Shame on all of you. I cannot believe this. I take a multivitamin, so that takes care of that. Okay, so, uh, so that's good. So number two is this, and I found this one fascinating. There is a tree called the fruit salad tree that sprouts three to seven different fruits on the same tree. It's true. It really happens. I read it on the internet. Um, okay. All right. And then the last one, and I, and I, I predict this will be lunch conversation. A strawberry is not an actual berry, but a banana is. I think that will probably be the topic of lunch conversations when it comes to fun fruit facts. So as I said, we are making our, we've made our way through the fruit of the Spirit. And I reminded you last week, and I, I even tipped you off, that I'm going to be asking us to recite the fruit of the Spirit today as we wrap this up. So here we go. The fruit of the Spirit is, give me the first one, love. Then what? Joy. Then what? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentle, faithfulness or gentleness. Then whichever one you pick there, go the other one. Okay, right? So faithfulness. And then the last one is self-control. Self-control. And so we come to this place where we talk about self-control. And Jamal brought this up to me as we were doing the meet and greet. It's appropriate that we're in a gym today. Because to go to a gym 
requires discipline and self-control when you think about it. I did not plan it this way. That's pretty cool that God works it out that way and gave Jamal that insight. But we're here, and when you're in a gym, to get to a gym, some of the, big, the biggest hurdle that you have to get over is simply getting to the gym. Once you're there, you need to do what you're going to do because there's otherwise it's just a wasted trip. But when I see the word self-control, when I see the word self-control, I don't know about you, but for me, I bristle at that word. All these other things I can sort of navigate and say, that's really a nice thing. I, I hope to grow in that area. But, but when I see the word self-control, I see images in my head of, disappointing, uh, of disappointments that I've had over the course of my life when I've not been self-controlled. I think of things that I'm not allowed to do, and I, I find myself getting more and more frustrated about that. And I, and I see it as a limitation, yet as we unravel this, as we unpack this this morning, I hope we come to understand this, that self-control definitely makes sense to be part of the fruit of the Spirit. We live in a world, and if you were to notice anything, I would think this, that if you were to ask people how you would describe today's world, I think that many people would say, our world is out of control. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, and the first is this, are we out of control from a physical health standpoint? Listen to this stat. Only 50 years ago, one in eight Americans were obese Today, that number is one in three. Are we out of control from a physical health standpoint? I think the answer would be yes. Are we out of control when it comes to divorce? The percentage of marriages ending in divorce is between 42 and 45 percent. And over the past three decades, and this, this stat got me, and over the past three decades, the amount of divorce among adults, older adults aged 55 to 64 has quadrupled. Are we out of control when it comes to our financial debt? The United States national debt is over $21 trillion. If each U.S. citizen were to pay the same amount to help pay off this debt it would be over $65,000 a person. I don't know about you, but I don't, know, I don't have that kind of money just laying around. The average American has a credit card debt of $16,425. Are we out of control from a financial debt standpoint? Yes. Are we out of control when it comes to the issue of sex addiction? Pornography continues to be one of the top, if not the top, visited search on, all, on the internet. And if you were to try to watch all the pornography videos available online consistently, one right after another, you would be watching them for the next 524,641 years. Are we out of control? in that particular area. I could go on and on and on. We are out of control. And I wish you could say that as Christ followers, when it comes to self-control, we, we are so different than what we see around us that we sit there and people can say, look at the Christ followers, how they represent 
Jesus Christ and how they don't fall victim to these things. Yet in every single one of these areas, the sad truth is, the difference is negligible. We have the most amazing Savior. He is the Savior who provides everything we need to live life in such a way that people can see Him working in our lives, yet the world looks at us and says, you're really not that much different. So we come to this one, this last one, this last attribute of self-control, and, and we're going to take a look at a passage that, that I think as Paul was, was dealing with this issue, and, and especially to whom he wrote it, it, it slapped them hard. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. On your smartphones, you can look it up and, and scroll there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we pick it up in verse 24. And Paul writes these words, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a, like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Father, we pray now as we come to this time and you're looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see, open our ears that we could hear, open our minds that we would understand, and open our hearts, open our hearts in such a way that we realize that we need to relinquish control to you. That you're the one that can give us the self-control we need to navigate life. Father, we confess that we really enjoy controlling others while we ourselves are an absolute mess. So Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would pierce each one of our hearts, our consciences, our, our lives with the power of your word. And that no one would hear anything that I say, but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear. And then in all of this, you would be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. There's a race that starts for every single person from the moment they draw their first breath. There's a race that they enter into, and it's an, an all-humans race. Whether we realize it or not, we all are racing. And as Paul writes these words to the Corinthians, he's writing them, to, he's writing them in such a way, that, and he's using this illustration of running because of this, that in Corinth... It was the second most attended athletic event outside of Athens. And so people from all over the world would go to Corinth and, and they would participate in these games, these prizes. They would win, they would win prizes. 
And so as people from all over the world descended on Athens, they descended on a city that was absolutely fantastic. Cosmopolitan in every way, an awful lot like San Francisco. It was a city that was bustling with activity. The extravagance of wealth could be seen everywhere, as well as the horrific conditions of absolute destitution. Excess, both from a wealth standpoint and from a poverty standpoint. Excess from a sex standpoint to, a, to a, uh, an incredibly uh, frugal lifestyle and, and, and non-promiscuous lifestyle. Excess from what they ate to excess in being very strict and disciplined. Excess was everywhere, and so Paul writes these words that seem to talk an awful lot about self-control. He writes these words to a people that don't understand that life is a marathon. You see, they would sprint. There's this, there's this competition going on for all of us all the time. It's between sprinting and marathoning. And for the people in Corinth, they could sprint from one philosophical debate to another. They can sprint to an opportunity to buy some of the world's nicest goods, then find something else to purchase. They could sprint from a posh dinner with, with a family member, and, to, and then after that, sprint to a late night of carousing with their other friends. They could sprint to making a sacrifice to one of the many idols that seem to dot the, the landscape everywhere and quickly make their way to another idol to offer sacrifices to it. They had this sprint mentality, and Paul, in the midst of this, is saying, you cannot view this as a sprint, you must view this as a marathon, you must realize that you are here to go and, and make a difference in this world. The Corinthian church was in the midst of this. And as you read through 1 Corinthians, you come to find out this. They knew what it meant to sprint. Read through 1 Corinthians and you find train wreck after train wreck after train wreck of what they're doing, trying to find, trying to fulfill these incredible desires they have. They're trying to fulfill them by sprinting from one thing to the next. And Paul's saying, you should not be living that way. You should be so different than those around you. There's an incredibly deep need. Look what he says here. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Everybody's running around you. You're part of that run. But only one gets the prize. Only one person gets the prize. And look what he says next. There's such confidence here. Run in such a way as to get the prize. That's the mindset that we need to have, and the mindset that we need to have involves self-control. A number of weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, I, I went in for my annual physical, and I knew things were going to come back in a way that wasn't going to be very pretty. I know the way I eat, even though I work out. I know the way I eat. It was, it was not going to be a good thing. So I get the phone call, and uh, the doctor says he needs to see me. I go in, I see the doctor, and he says, says, what happened? I said, last year these were this, and this year this is this, and I'm thinking, um, I have a smile on my face, I'm thinking, yeah, it was not a good year for me. He says, you're not getting any younger. And I said, I know, thanks for the reminder. And so he says, you need to, you need to make some adjustments in your diet. 
And so, uh, so I'm going to, I'm working on that. And self-control is that issue. I have the workout part down, but it's the self-control as far as eating that of an issue. So I shared this news with the staff, and, and they all know, and they're helping me one way or another. And Rob and I went to a little conference the other day on Thursday, and we're having lunch, and it was a fantastic lunch. And then at the end of the lunch, they bring out these chocolate chip cookies that are about this big. They're about this big. I am looking at those cookies, and there's drool coming out of them. No, I'm just joking. But I said, you know what? I'm going to have one cookie. Usually I'd have five out of the six, even though everybody else is supposed to have one. So I grab a cookie and I slowly eat this thing. There were two cookies left and the lady at the table picks up the plate and places them right between Rob and I. And I'm thinking, this is not good. I hope this program gets over very soon. Because I can't concentrate on what this person's saying. I'm looking at this cookie. And then I said this. I said, I can't eat this cookie and here's why. Because Rob's here. Because Rob's here and he knows the adjustments that I'm trying to make in my diet. And so I'm white-knuckling this experience. But I'm not going to eat it because Rob is here. After it's done, after it's done, Rob says, hey, you want a cookie? And I said, I said, no, I don't want to, yeah, I want one, but I don't, I'm not going to take one. I said, I need to get out of here. So Rob, because Rob really cares for me, he's always looking out for my best interests, picks up one of the cookies, breaks off a portion of the cookie, and he says, hey, John, and he slowly ate the cookie. It's incredibly important to have a marathon mindset when you're trying to make changes. It's incredibly important to have that in mind because I know in four months I'm going to take, retake these tests and it's my hope that in four months I'm going to be able to sit there and say, you know what, we've made some improvement here. But so often you and I, and by the way, there are other things that, that all of us need to have a marathon mindset. There are going to be setbacks. There are going to be times that, that, it, that it gets difficult, but we keep the end goal in mind. And we'll talk about that here in a few moments. And then Paul begins to give some idea of what's going on here. And, and he talks about training, and not just any type of training, but he talks about training with a purpose. He says this in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it, excuse me, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Forever is a really long time. And so he's talking about training with a purpose. He's talking to this church in in Corinth that's struggling so much to understand what this gets down to. And this church in Corinth had so many addictions going on that they couldn't see straight. 
We live in a society that is out of control and people have various addictions. Everybody in here is battling some type of addiction. It's just the way we are. We're always constantly looking for a way to satisfy ourselves. And here's the sad truth. Our addictions to things that we think will take care of us always lead to an aversion to what God desires to do in our lives. Think about it right now. As you take a look at your life, how many times have you thought that satisfying an addiction was going to work this time? How many times did you struggle and how many times did you sit there saying, I know I need to, I know God's leading me down this path, but you know what? I'm just going to take a little, just a little step this way. Thinking that there's not going to be any guilt, no conviction, no, no, no feeling of, wow, I really missed it. And every single time we go that route, what ends up happening? Regret. Pain. Not only to ourselves, but to others. Our addiction leads to the aversion of wanting to follow after God. Paul doesn't mess around here. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Strict training. Sacrifice needs to happen. But so often, we don't do it. And then he says this, they do it to get a crown that will not last. The crown that these people that participated in, they, they do it for this, this crown that was simply a, 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 a wreath made out of leaves. And by the time, by, within the year, those, those leaves are going to be dead. They're going to be dried up. It's going to be nothing but dust. He's saying these people do this strict training to receive a crown that will not last, and yet we have a crown that we're working for that lasts forever. We don't have a crown of, of, of leaves. We have the crown of life. We have a crown that, that is eternal. We have a crown that glistens all the time, that never fades. That's the crown that we have. And he says, live your lives in such a way that people see that crown, the crown of life, Jesus Christ. But so often we go down these addiction paths and we think that it's going to be okay that way. But what ends up happening is we sacrifice so much. And Paul seems to be saying to them when he says they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What he says is make sure that you can keep your eyes on the future because thinking towards the future affects the way you live the present. Believe it or not, I've, done a, I've, 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 I've participated in a few marathons in my life. I know I don't look like it right now, but I really have done that in the past. And when I made the decision at each, t- at each time that I decided to do a marathon, when I made the decision, I knew this, that the goal was to finish the race. And I knew to finish the race, my present was going to have to be affected. When I shared with my family that I was going to participate in this marathon, they had to make adjustments with me. I knew this, that, that when I ate dinner, when I, when I sat down for dinner the night before a long run, I had to be careful how much I was going to eat. I knew the importance of sleeping well. 
And I knew the importance of not laying in bed when the alarm went off, even though I wanted to just stay in bed the whole time. The need to be able to discern between pain and being injured and taking the time away. The encouragement that I would need from my family to keep going. One afternoon after I did uh, my last final long run, our family went out uh, for dinner that night. And I, it was a, I think I, I did like a 22-mile run. Went out for dinner that night. We all plop into the van. And as I'm driving down to go to dinner, all of a sudden, my entire right leg cramps. And I'm screaming. I slam on the brakes, and I'm screaming. And my loving family says, what's wrong? And I said, I have a cramp all the way up and down my leg. And here's what Dawn, Stephanie, and Heidi did. They laughed. (laughs) So I put the van in park. I hobble out. I'm walking around the van while they're inside laughing at me. But that being said, there are times when you're training for a marathon that it gets hard. And then when I made the decision to do a marathon, I had to understand the realization that the training alone for a marathon will be in a a significant amount of time and it will be a complete overhaul of running that I've never done before. That before I even go to the starting line in mid-January to participate in this marathon, I will have logged over 420 miles running. The future dictated my present. The future for all of us is one that is eternal. The future for all of us is one that lasts forever. The future for all of us involves forgiveness. It involves regeneration. It involves restoration. It involves reconciliation. That's our future. And that, therefore, that future should impact our present today. We shouldn't wait and say, I'll forgive them eventually. We should be living out a life of forgiveness today because we're forgiven. Yes, we're forgiven today. We're forgiven in the future as well. What the future holds for us as believers should impact the way we live our lives today. And so often we forget that we have a future and we only focus in on the present. But when we focus in on the future and we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us, it changes everything for us. And then Paul wraps it up and he says this, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not not be disqualified For the prize. Paul wants the people there to realize and and to not fall prey to what I call the GOB complex. What is the GOB complex? It's choosing good over best. 
Jesus Christ desires the best for us. He doesn't just desire the good for us. He desires the best for us. And so often we sit there and, and, and we get so scattered. And what Paul's saying here is, you need to be specific. You need to be single-minded. There are other things going on in your life right now that are taking your, uh, your, you're preoccupied with things that are good, but they're not the best. We have so many different options out there all the time, and Christ is calling us, Paul is saying this, that, that as Christ is calling us, Paul says to the people, pick the best. Pick the best. The reality is this. We pick good all the time. And then we take a look at what's going on in our lives with Christ, and there's not much life there. Because we're picking the good, we're not picking the best. We're picking to to spend time a certain way here, and it's a good way to spend time, but there's no eternal benefit to it. We're voracious readers. We read all the time, yet we choose to not spend time reading our Bibles. We say that we'll do this and we'll do that, and yet when a crisis comes up, we say, well, we don't have enough time for that. Paul has such intentionality. I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You look at Paul's life, his entire life was one of, of amazing sacrifice. And the reason why he made those sacrifices was because he had one goal in mind, and it's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, which is this, I am in pain for you until Christ is fully formed in you. Christ desires to work in our lives. And the ongoing discussion that God and I have all the time is this, why do you want to work with me? I'm broken. I'm fallen. I struggle in so many different areas. And yet the great thing about God's grace is this. He says, yeah, I know all that. I don't need to be reminded. But I want to work in your life. I believe this that there are people in this room right now that have become so busy that they have no idea what the best thing is for them right now. Your addiction might not be drugs or alcohol or food or sex or anything like that. Your addiction is goodness. You're doing a lot of good things. And the reason why you're doing those good things is because you keep busy and you haven't taken the time to consider what is the best thing that you need to be doing. And that best thing is pursuing after Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And over the course of the last nine weeks, that phrase at the end, against such thing there is no law, I've wrestled with that. What is Paul trying to get to? the only one that's not violated the law is the one who embodied love. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. The only one that there is no law was the one who considered it pure joy to go to the cross. The only one that has that that there's nothing that they've done nothing against the law is the one who gives a peace that transcends all understanding. The only one who has never gone against the law has patience. He's a patient God willing to hang in there with you. The only one who has not had a a moment where they've gone against the law has a kindness that always leads people to a repentance. The only one who's never done anything against the law has a goodness because he's a good God all the time. The only one who's ever had nothing against the law, who's, who's never gone against the law, has a faithfulness when you and I are not faithful. And the only one who's never gone against the law is the one who was tempted in every single way that you and I are, yet was without sin. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and proclaimed, It is finished. It meant this, that his life would be laid down as the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I that are searching for all these different things in all types of different ways, you and I can then say, that's the one against whom there is no law. That's the one that I can follow. That's the one that will carry me through. My hope over the course of these last nine weeks is not that you go away from this saying, I need to work on this, I need to work on that, I need to work on this, I need to work on that. My hope and prayer is this, that each and every one of us says, I need Jesus. He's the only one that can carry me through. And as we turn to Him, everything changes. Jesus Christ does not have a sprint mindset. Jesus Christ has a marathon mindset and He will not let us down one time. There will be struggles. When I ran the marathons, there were times when I said, I don't know if I can go any further. And I cried out to God and said, keep me going. And He did. It might not have been pretty, but he took me to the finish line. And when I crossed that line, there was a great sense of relief and a great sense of, God, thank you for carrying me through. Perhaps you're here this morning. You don't know if you can go much further. I'm here to tell you we have a God who can continue carrying you and will continue carrying you. And he will not let you down. His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, His gentleness, His faithfulness, and His self-control will carry you through. If you have questions, if you need to talk to somebody, please don't hesitate to, to look me up and, or, or track me down after the service today. I'd be more than happy to talk to you. One of the elders would be more than happy to talk to you and listen to you. Because this Christ is our prize. 
And he says, run as if you're the one who gets the prize. May we run with him energizing us each and every moment of each and every day. Father, we pray now as we think through these words, think through these experiences, we would ask that you would help us run in such a way as to get the prize. Father, I didn't bring this up in the message, but perhaps that means that we need somebody in our lives to help us along the way. And so we pray that you would give us an idea of who that person is that can come alongside us and help us. Father, we pray that you would help us get rid of a lot of the good things that we do and replace them with what you want us to do because it's the best thing you want us to do. We pray that we would be a people that moves with you, that runs with a focus. And forgive us for the times that we've been so scatterbrained that we can't move. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that we would be a focused people, focused in on Jesus Christ and the work He desires to do in our lives so that we can then be Spirit-filled, fruit-obvious people. Lord, as we sing these next songs, we pray that we would sing out with great, great enthusiasm because of what You've done for us. And we pray that we would run and not grow weary, that we would walk and not faint, because you, Lord Jesus, are with us always. And for those in this room that don't know you, we pray that today would be that day that they say, I want to run with Jesus. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So uh, the band's going to come up now. We're going to sing a couple more songs. So I invite you to stand up and uh, let's sing out.